Today, here's what we're doing. We're ending our series today that was entitled That They Would Know. And so hopefully over this last several weeks, you've gained some valuable information to help you address issues that come up in our society and within families. We really kind of put this within the context of family because families need to be having these conversations because if you're not, the world's going to be having those conversations with them, right? And so today we've been doing that in the church. And as we get to this last topic, here's what I know, that for some, this topic is going to be controversial in nature. Because today, we're going to address the issue of drinking alcohol. Now, I approach this subject with the knowledge of this, that many listening to me today have no issue with drinking. In fact, many sitting in the chairs this morning are regular consumers, and I know that. I want everyone to know that I'm not approaching this topic with a judgmental attitude, but really an attitude of love and compassion. The approach that I really want all of us to take today is this. I want us to carefully consider the information that we're going to look at, and then we're going to ask ourselves this question, what would God have me to do? Because you see, this morning, I'm not trying to impose on you my belief, but I do want us to look into God's Word and consider what God says on the matter. In fact, something that's interesting to me is I was preparing to work on this message this this morning, for this morning, Uh, something appeared on my Twitter feed, all right? I don't know if y'all have Twitter, but I'm kind of old school, right? So I have Twitter. I think young people moved on past that, but I'm old, so I still use Twitter. And on my Twitter feed, it came across a message from a famous preacher in Tennessee called Robbie Gallaty. He preached this mess. He preached a message, excuse me, a few weeks ago, and it was on the very subject I'm preaching today on the use of alcohol. It seems like God may be wanting to speak on this matter. Now, I appreciate how he approached it, and I think it's best that we ask the question the same way he did Is it wise for a Christian to drink alcohol? Now, that is, I believe, a very good way to approach this subject. You know, for me growing up in this community as a kid, I thought there would never be a day that there was a bar in Hardin County, Kentucky. It seemed like it was an impossibility. But now, as an adult, it seems like there's a new bar opening every week, all right? Now, I know that's a skewed view, but that's just the way it seems, What is very clear in our state now is that it has become at least proud of its alcohol production and probably a little natural outflow of that, maybe a little bit proud of our consumption, right? We are known today for our bourbon industry and more and more breweries open on the the scene in our state on a yearly basis. Alcohol has been a big revenue producer for our state and because of this reality, its prevalence now in our community is what makes this topic, I'm sure, a little more touchy for some, but I hope one that you will hear and you'll listen to with an open mind and then at the end, draw the conclusion that God would have for you, all right? Does it understand where we're at this morning? I'm wanting God to help you draw your own conclusion. Now, the first statement that we have to make on this subject is this that there is no strict prohibition against drinking in the Scriptures. Now, me saying that may be appalling to some, but I have to make that statement. You know, growing up in church, I was taught from a very young age that drinking was wrong. And with this teaching, it was implicitly or explicitly stated that the Bible clearly said that drinking was a sin. However, to say that the Bible strictly forbids drinking would be wrong for me to do because the Bible doesn't say that. 
One reason it would be so dangerous for me to say that the Bible strictly forbids drinking is it would reduce the credibility of other things if I were to teach that, that, all right? Because what I would be doing is being teaching something out of the Scripture, and if I'm going to say the Bible is my guide for life, then I have to take an honest and a complete look at everything. I can't just read the Bible and make it fit my own agenda and make it say the things that I want it to say. I cannot make the Bible say those things or I would be an unfaithful preacher of God's word. And so this morning, I have to stand before this congregation and say this, that there is not a strict prohibition against drinking in the scriptures. You see, when you look in the scriptures, there are clearly various reference to drinking alcohol, especially wine. One place that it is spoken of in a positive sense is Psalm 104.15. When speaking about the things that God gives to man, it says, and wine to gladden the heart of man. We even know that Jesus himself drank wine and his first miracle was turning water not into grape juice, but wine and wine that the guests recognized was the best wine. Another place that wine is spoken of positively is in 1 Timothy 5.23. Here the Apostle Paul, speaking to the young pastor Timothy, said this, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. You see, Paul here urges Timothy to drink a little wine, which some of you love to hear me say that, right? You say, I love that verse of scripture. The reason though, look at what Paul said. He said, the reason you drink this is for your stomach and your frequent ailments. See, here is, I think, what we forget sometimes when we look at the use of wine in the scriptures. Here's what we forget. We forget that it was a necessity, all right? I I should have probably made that one of my sub points this morning, but in scriptural times, wine was a necessity. You see, in the scriptures times, there was not a means of producing purified drinking water. I mean, if they stored their water in pots, there is this stuff that's called bacteria that grew. Y'all know what, y'all heard of bacteria before? Yes, I'm being a little facetious there, right? Every one of us, all right, we've heard of bacteria, all right? The bacteria that that would would form sometimes in those pots of water uh, could actually be life-threatening if people were to drink it. I'll never forget the time when I was in Africa and I was there and I was watching this little boy and he was over in the stream and he was filling his water pot, all right, up with water. Upstream though, guess what, was waiting the cattle. And I watched that young boy fill that water, and I'm thinking, there is no way that water is clean. And it's no reason many of the children that you saw walking around, they were suffering from poor drinking water, right? They had many ailments because of the water that they drank. You see, they did not have that clean water there. And we think about biblical times. They did not have the means to clean and store water safely so that bacteria would not grow. And again, if they did store it, that bacteria would grow and again, cause somebody, if they drank it, to to run the risk literally of death. You see, on the other hand, Wood could drink a little wine that had been through the fermentation process where the bacteria didn't exist and experience a safe drink. Now, with those being the two options, which do you think is the best option? Drinking a little bit of wine, right? Because it's safe versus not being safe. Now, though I am a person who has chosen not to drink alcohol, I believe this, that today if I lived in certain places around the world, I would still drink a little wine for my stomach. The words of Timothy would still be good in some ways today, and I don't necessarily have a problem when wine is used for medicinal purposes. 
But for me, hear me, I live in a country where I have clean, fresh, safe drinking water, and there is therefore no need for me to drink wine for my stomach. In fact, what is clear in our society is that when one drinks, one drinks mostly for the intoxicating effects of the alcohol, not the medicinal purposes. People drink for the buzz, or if they want to say, that, you know, a small buzz, or maybe to relax, as they like to call it, right? Now, I've always said this, that God has a purpose for everything, amen? God has a purpose. Is there a purpose for fermentation? We've clearly already seen that, yes, right? Back in biblical times, for sure, it was a very good thing. But listen to this, all right? God has a purpose for everything. God creates, creates everything good. However, what Satan always wants to do, hear me, is take what God has made for a good purpose and use it for something bad. Okay? This moves me to my next point, because although there is not a strict prohibition against drinking in the Bible, what is very clear is this, is that drunkenness is clearly a sin and not God's desire for one's life. You see, yes, the Bible may have some positive things to say about wine, but the Bible also clearly and often gives warning about the dangers of drinking alcohol and the sin of drunkenness. One of the most clear and often quoted verses in regards to this warning is found in Ephesians 5.18, where it says this, and do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, first we see where being drunk with wine is called debauchery, and I'm sure debauchery is not a word most of y'all use every day, right? All right, y'all go around and talk about debauchery. That's debauchery. No, y'all don't use it, right? But if you look and study its meaning, you can find definitions like this, recklessness, wildness, wastefulness. It is definitely not a positive thing. In fact, it is seen here as the opposite of being filled with the Spirit. You see, instead of being filled with the spirits, we are called to be filled with the Spirit, all right? The Holy Spirit of God. Ultimately, what this verse is pointing us to is that there will be something that controls our life. You see, if you choose to be drunk with wine or alcoholic beverages of any kind, you are choosing to give control of your life to the alcohol. I'm sure many of you have at least known people who, when drunk, have done things they would have never dreamed of doing had they been sober, right? Some of you might even have regrets in your life where you know that your choice to consume alcohol led to some poor choices or actions in your life. People under the influence have said things, did things, got into fights, entered into relationships, sold things, bought things, among many other things that they would not have done had they been sober. And what I can say with certainty is if you let the Holy Spirit fill you and control you, you're not going to have to worry about making uncontrollable mistakes for the Holy Spirit always leads to life. Right. Now, what we can also look at other places in Scripture and see that drunkenness is viewed in a very negative light. Listen to the words of Peter speaking to Christians about how to live life in 1 Peter 4. He says, live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. See, here Peter lists drunkenness along with various other things that is considered activities that the Gentiles or those who are godless do as a part of living for their passion. Peter said, listen, when you are not a believer doing those things that non-believers do, that time you spent doing those things was enough time spent doing those things, and so now it's time to live differently for Christ. Peter made it very clear to live as the godless live is to live in opposition to the will of God. 
Drunkenness is also included in the list of things that are works of the flesh and that can keep one from inheriting the kingdom of God. We see this in various places in the scripture, but one place is Galatians 5, where it says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of angers, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, we could look at more, but I think what we've looked at is clear enough to say that drunkenness is a sin. In fact, here's my guess. It wouldn't be too hard for most people to concede that point, would it? Most people would concede that point. Many would say, yes, drunkenness is wrong. Yes, we understand the dangers of drunkenness. In fact, in our community, where just, we just remembered uh, the 35th anniversary of the Carrollton bus crash, it should be a little easier for some to admit that drunkenness is a dangerous thing, all right? But let's consider another point that Scripture leads us to understand, that the drinking of alcohol comes with many dangers, Let's consider a few more verses that show us this reality. Remember, we want the scriptures to be our guide on this topic and all topics. Listen to what Proverbs 21 says. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. You see, when you read that verse, you see that alcohol consumption is paired with violence. Wine is a mocker and strong drink a brawler. And statistics, folks, bear this out. On average, roughly 40% of inmates who are incarcerated for violent offenses were under the influence of alcohol during the time of their crime. It's not even just violence that comes with the abuse of alcohol, but poverty can also be a result. Listen to Proverbs 23, 21. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. The National Coalition for the Homeless has found that 38% of homeless people are alcohol dependent. And though not everyone who drinks becomes homeless, I have known many homes destroyed because of alcohol and much loss of income because of its use. Then we can see that the use of alcohol can cause general agony and grief. Another word of wisdom found in Proverbs 23 goes like this, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. You see, what is clear from these verses is that alcohol might promise a good time, but typically it comes back to bite you. It often brings woe and sorrow, wounds without cause, and the redness of eyes along with the hangovers from too much consumed. And for me, the worst of all, alcohol can cause one to lose sight of God. Listen to Isaiah 5, 11 and 12. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp, tambourine and flute, wine at their feast. But look at this. But they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the works of his hands. You see, like this verse indicates, we will often have, uh, have, uh, have alcohol at our parties, thinking it adds to a good time, but often what we do in the process is we forget about God. Now, how terrible I think it is to be in a place to not regard the deeds of the Lord or to see the work of his hands. Now, maybe because some of you see these dangers that, that, that become alcohol, but I, I want you to know this. All right, people who want to lead are encouraged to abstain from the use of alcohol. See, in, in Israel, there were people who at times would 
take what they would call a Nazarite vow. These people were committing to live their life with a spiritual focus on God, especially living for the Lord and serving him. And in number six, God gave these instructions to this group of spiritual leaders. He said, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink. It shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes fresh or dried. See, God said, surely, or those who wanted to be leaders, they need all, always need to be thinking clearly. And so what he said is, I want to prohibit their use of alcohol. In fact, similarly, he had the Levites. Now, the Levites were set apart to serve in the temple. We could call them our worship leaders, all right? Maybe we could look at Luke and say afterwards, hey, hey, you're a Levite, right? Because you're a worship leader in our church. Maybe we could say that, right? Here's the instruction God gave to Levites. And he said, and the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, drink no wine or strong drink. You or your sons with you when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Now, as I share these some, some of these will say, well, Brother Scott, I hear what you say about a Nazarite, I hear what you say about a Levite, but you know what? Those are special categories of leaders, of spiritual leaders, and I understand the distinction. In fact, I, I had this experience in life one time. I, I visited a man, he looked at me, he said, preacher, I think it's all right for me to drink. He said, but I don't think you ought to drink. I said, well, I really don't see where the distinction is, but I hear what he said. He, he, even in that condition, a man who said, I want to drink, he understood something. He said, I don't want my spiritual leaders to drink, all right? And so what some will do is they'll take this stance. They'll believe, all right, God has in a different standard for, for those who are in spiritual leadership, all right? But, but let's take spiritual leadership out for a moment, all right? And let's talk about leaders in general. For in Proverbs 31, it says this, it is not for kings, old mule, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. You see, this passage makes it clear that there is a danger when a leader drinks. It's a danger of that leader failing to think correctly and in the process make bad or unfair decisions. You see, it is safe to say that for any leader, drinking alcohol can cloud your judgment, cause poor decisions, and often harm others. And for those of you who might still say, well, Brother Scott, I hear what you're saying, but that's just for leaders. Let me ask you this. I, I want to propose this to you, all right? Every Christian today is called to be a leader. Every Christian is called to be a spiritual leader in your home, a leader in your church, a leader at work, and a leader in community. You're called to be a leader in general, and I believe all leaders should hear this warning. All right. Now, as we've looked at these different warnings from Scripture, some of you say that you understand the danger that exists, and you simply drink in moderation, and you don't misuse alcohol. Your thinking is you should be able to drink without guilt because there is no strict prohibition in the Bible. You can handle it and it's a legal thing to do. So drinking to you is no big deal. But let's remember something. All right. Just because something is legal doesn't make it right or healthy. Right. The Apostle Paul was writing, addressing the reality that our lives should be lived to the glory of God. Some take the position that since I'm not saved by what I do, but through faith in Jesus Christ, that it doesn't matter how one lives their life, including whether one drinks or not, not all right? It, it might be true that you're not saved by the righteous things you do, but hear me, folks, it does matter to God how you live, right? In light of the attitude, that attitude that some took, Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 10. He said, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. 
You see, if you notice in the text, the words, all things are lawful, you notice they're in quotes. Did you see that? Put that back up just a second if you don't care, Matt. All right. Did, did you notice they were in quotes where it says, all things are lawful? It's in quotes for a reason. That is because Paul was quoting the common argument of the day and what some were doing. They were saying, oh, it doesn't matter how I live. I'm saved by grace. So all things are lawful. I can do whatever I, I want to do. All right. So again, let me ask this question. Just because something is lawful, does it make it okay? I would hope you say no, and sometimes I hope you would say emphatically no. In fact, consider these examples. You might know this. If you cross our border just into Illinois, do you understand this? It is legal to smoke marijuana re recreationally. All right, so it's legal, is it right? I don't think it is. Go out to, Los go, go out to uh, you know, Nevada. You know what? Prostitution is legal in Nevada. So it's legal, but is it right? Not necessarily, all right? You see, if our argument about drinking is simply that it's legal or that there's not a restriction on prohibition in the scriptures, it doesn't mean that it's something that we should do, you know? There's nothing in the scripture that says we shouldn't spend eight hours a day on social media, but surely we understand that's not a healthy thing to do, right? Some of you say, I'm not going to say amen to that one, right? Okay. In some ways, we should hear the warnings about the danger of drinking alcohol and ask the question. Is it best for me not to partake? Even though it is legal, even though it's not strictly forbidden, is it beneficial to my life? Now, I answer that question for myself, all right, and I say no. And everyone here today needs to answer that question for themselves. Now, as you seek to answer that question, let's look at a few other things to consider when we ask the question, is it wise for a Christian to drink alcohol? And I'm going to say this. See, drinking alcohol can mask a deeper problem and prevent healing. L listen to these words in Proverbs 31. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. <clears throat> Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. You see, when I first read this verse years ago, this passage in speaking in regards to alcohol, I heard it used in a sense to say that this use of alcohol was like the use of morphine that we use for terminally ill patients today. Now, that makes much sense to me when you read this part about those who are perishing. It can be used to dull the pain. When I think about it in the sense, though, it reminds me of what Robbie Gallaty said when he stated that what so many want to deny, which is this, ready? that alcohol is a drug, okay? Gowdy then quoted Marvin A. Block, who was a leader in studying and treating alcoholism, and who was at one time the president of the American Medical Association's Council on Alcoholism, among other positions, he made this statement. He said, "Our is a drug-oriented society, largely because of alcohol. Because of its social acceptance, alcohol is rarely thought of as a drug, but a drug it is in scientific fact. You see, we don't like to think of alcohol in this way, but that is in reality what it is. And often people use alcohol like they use other drugs to mask their pain. As it said in Problems, to forget their poverty and to remember their misery no more. Now, I personally have not had the experience of using alcohol to mask pain. And that's why I enjoyed listening to Robbie Gallaty share on this subject because before Robbie met Christ, he developed an alcohol and a drug addiction. His confession was that though he didn't realize it at the time, he was using alcohol and other drugs to dull his pain to help him cope. But like it does for everyone who uses alcohol in this way, you realize that though the pain was dulled for a moment, 
the issue is still there. The issue doesn't go away. And unfortunately, what so many people do is they continue to try and dull the pain and fail to deal with the real issue. The counseling principle that Gallaty shared that I believe is worth sharing with you today is this. You have to feel to heal. You have to feel to heal. Alcohol dulls your feelings so you never experience the healing. The warning is this. If you simply use alcohol to dull your pain or cover your hurt, you may never experience the healing in life that you truly long for. It is best to deal with whatever is causing your pain so that you might find the healing that you truly need. Masking the pain with alcohol is not the answer to your problems. Now, the next thing to consider is this. Drinking can cause others to stumble. You see, as Christians, we should never live our lives just for us, right? Never. Some people's attitude with drinking is, well, I'm not hurting anyone, so it's no big deal. But you have to remember that what we do influences others, and our actions can lead others in the right or the wrong direction. Listen to this teaching that the Apostle Paul gave to the Corinthian believers in Romans 14. He said, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. In other words, what he's saying is this, is that what you do grieves someone else or causes someone else to do wrong, then you're not living and loving others as God would command you to do. He goes on to say a few verses later this, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but, it's not, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. You see, this idea of causing someone to stumble is something that should be a concern for every believer. We have to ask ourselves this question. Are the things that we do, are they worth imitating? Are the things that we do detrimental to others? Should they copy our action? Now, drinking is not the only issue to consider, but it is the issue for today. And one must ask the question, is it wise for me to drink alcohol and influence others to do the same? In fact, keep in mind, even if you say, I would not encourage someone else to drink, your participation speaks volumes, okay? And in regards to parents in particular, I hope you understand the influence you have on your children. I've heard it said before that children embrace what parents tolerate. I can attest to that because I tolerate, all right, I tolerate sarcasm and my kids have embraced it. Some have taken sarcasm to the next level for sure. Some of you have heard me share this before and you can confirm, all right, with your experience with my children that they have truly embraced sarcasm. In regards to alcohol use, hear me, our children, all right, when I think about our children, this statistic blew me away. Currently, the average age that a boy will take his first drink, are you ready for this? The average is now 11 years of age. The average age for a girl is 13. Those statistics amaze me. If that disturbs you, consider this according to the 2016 GFK Roper Youth Report. Are you ready? 71% of children aged 13 to 17 say that their parents are the number one influence on whether they drink alcohol. Parents definitely need to keep that in mind because for many kids, their first drink will come in the home. 
The parents may not be aware of it, but I'm going to tell you, if it's present in a home, there's a good chance one time or another, your child will drink even without your permission, all right? And they will have that drink sooner than you think because that's the society in which we live. You see, I always want to be able to say in my life that if one of my children choose to drink, or really anyone in my realm of influence chooses to drink, it will not be because I gave them approval or because they saw me drink. Everyone here needs to consider whether you are making others stumble about what you consume or what you participate in. Now, the next point is this. We want to teach our children to make wise choices that glorify God. All right. See, folks, this is not just about keeping them from making mistakes. We want them to make wise choices. I want to take a moment and go back to Ephesians 5, where a bit ago I read verse 18, which said, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. I want to go back now, and I want to read that verse leading up to it so that we have it in context. Because look at Paul writes beginning in verse 15 in that chapter. Right? He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Do you see the challenge there? What Paul is challenging believers to do is to live in wisdom. He wants us to understand that the days are evil and the time is limited, so we should make the best use of the time that we have. Therefore, in light of the need to make the best use of time, the challenge is to be filled with the Spirit instead of getting drunk on wine. And what Paul wants people to do is live in accordance to the will of God and not their own conscience or their own desires, but to look and to say, what is the wisest thing to do in light of God's will? Really, that is what I want everyone here to do, to look and say, how do I live wisely? See, in regard to alcohol consumption, what would the Lord have me to do? Again, I am not sharing this message to condemn or to be harsh, but I do believe believers should consider what is the Lord's will for your life. Now, I could share more, but let me say two quick things more, and then I will close. Should you choose not to drink, don't be surprised when others criticize your choice. Peter was addressing Christians with a challenge to not live in the flesh, but instead live for Christ in a different way. I read the first part of this passage earlier where he mentioned several things that, we sh that should be in our past, including drunkenness and drinking parties, because these were things that the godless did, and those actions should be in the past for Christians. As he gave this challenge to live differently, he said this. He said, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. D did you hear what Paul said here? Basically, he, he said, don't be surprised when others malign you when they talk bad about you. I'm sure we could say, make fun of you. But he reminds these believers that, that those who make fun of you, they're going to give account to God one day, which is really a reminder to all of us, we all have to give an account to, of our God to God one day. Amen? We do that. We do that. We have to give an account for our lives. It's like I've had times, you know, when people have come up to me and they want to apologize for me for something that they did that they believe was wrong. Because as a preacher, somehow they think they need to apologize to the preacher, right? And I look back at them and say, I, want to, I say, look, it's not me you have to please. It's not me you have to please. It's God you have to please, all right? So if you need to apologize, don't apologize to me. Apologize to God because he's the one that you live for. It is not me. And I know this, folks. When I tell people I choose not to drink, 
They can call me a dinosaur or old fashioned, but I'm going to hear to tell you that is okay because I've never had to wake up with a hangover and say, I can't believe I did that. I will never have to say they learned to drink from me. Now, the last thing I want to say is this. If you have failed, Jesus can redeem. To a believer who may have at one point in time made a mistake, maybe you gave into temptation, you let a friend convince you to do something you didn't want to do and drank in a way that you knew didn't please God, I want you to know this. God doesn't leave you just because of a mistake. In Psalm 37, it says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his ways, and though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hands. Praise the Lord, right? You see, what a great word of comfort. Maybe you made a mistake and you regret it. If the Lord protected you from the worst consequences of that mistake, seek his forgiveness and give him praise that he protected you from something much worse. Even if your mistake had some minor consequences, be thankful it didn't cost you your life or another his or her life. And even if the consequences were big, God is still there to help you recover because God never turns his back on us. All right? Now, for the person who is not walking with God, and for you, your life is headed down the wrong path, for you, alcohol is an addiction and drunkenness is a regular part of your life, know that it doesn't have to be that way. God offers you something better. You see, I want to share with you a passage I shared a few weeks ago, but it's still relevant, and it's from 1 Corinthians 6. Paul addresses the painful side of living apart from God when he says this. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, neither thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor, nor, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You see, those words are the difficult truth. But some of you remember what the next part says, but if not, let me remind you of the next part. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Folks, there is hope to be found in Jesus. Hear me. Jesus came to save from sin and to offer a new life, to offer a different way to live where you can put the past behind you, your old ways behind, and you can walk in a new life that Jesus offers. You see, because Jesus died for your sins and rose again, he offers the possibility of you dying to your old ways and living to the new ways that he offers. Today, if you trust Jesus as your savior and walk with him, you can put your sins of the past behind you. A drunk, for example, can be who you were, not who you are. You hear me? Please know that God offers anyone who will receive Jesus by faith a new life. Do you understand? See, maybe you failed at one time or another. Maybe you're in the midst of a failure. I got good news for you. There's hope in Jesus Christ. We sing about that living hope. He has a hope today. He will break every chain that binds you. And if today, I'm here to say, if some of you out here hear this message and you're bound by alcohol, I got good news for you. Jesus can set you free. He's ready to offer you a new life. Now, as a close for everyone, though, today, here's what I want you to do. I really want you to ask yourself this question as you stand here. Many of you I know are believers, you're Christians. I want you to ask yourself the question, is it wise for me to drink alcohol? I want you to consider that. I want you to consider what we've looked at today. And then I want you to get with God and you say, God, you show me what's wise. And I don't want you to make a decision based upon what this preacher has said today. I want you to make your decision based upon what the word of God says. 
And if you take that information today, then you go with God and say, Lord, show me what's wise. And here's what I trust for you, that you will walk in the wisdom of the Lord. Fair enough? Do you hear me? Okay, let's pray. Father, as we bow in your presence today, Lord, I, I know that you're a God that loves us and you're a God that offers to us life. And Father, I just want to ask your forgiveness when we try to sometimes find life in cheap, cheap substitutes, God. When we try to find our joy and our hope in something other than you. And so today, Father, as we come to the end of this invitation, above all, God, what I want is people to find their hope in you, their joy in you. And then trust, Father, from there that, God, you'll help them to walk in wisdom with you. So during this invitation, Father, I pray that you'll speak to hearts. God, I pray that, that folks have understood the intent of this message today, that it wasn't intended to condemn or to be harsh, but, Father, one that was intended to be realistic and look into your word so that we can truly ask, what is the Lord's will for my life? So again, Father, just speak, and I pray that we'll respond. I pray that we'll walk in your way today. And that today we'll make the choice that pleases you. So we love you, Father. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the hope that he brings. As we sing the song of invitation together, Father, my prayer would be that you'd pour your spirit out on this place. And that truly we would be filled with that spirit. And we walk in you today in Jesus' name. Amen.